Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. state-of-the-art studios of OutlawRadioLive.com, nestled somewhere in the Los Angeles area in our very secret bunker. The following program is produced by Magic Matt Allen of the Outlaw Radio Network. True crime uncensored. Yes, a look in the mirror confirms I am the legendary Burl Bear. The man over there is Howard Lapidus. I was going to say that it it took a mirror... For, for me to, to know who I am, who I'm having an identity crisis, Howard. Well, Let me deal with it. This is something new? No, not at all. Wait a minute. But so the difference you... is, my medication arrived. Oh, so, so, so you're... So I'm going to be much better now. So you're... <laughs> it's medicated stew. Oh, I'm much better. Oh, okay. There's a big difference between when I have my mental health medications and I don't. Wow. Well, I, I, I can tell. Yeah. Why don't we say hello to Mark C.G. Boyer? Hey, I'm Mark C.G. Boyer, our fact checker. And uh, our guest today is uh, the most relentless, blatant self-promotion human being I on the planet. I have never seen... This is worse than me. Oh, worse than me. Uh, yeah. Better than me. Oh, much you. <laughs> you, you. You don't even come close to this guy. No, no. I mean, this I used makes to be... Up, he makes up awards that he, he gets... Uh, uh, I've given him an award. <laughs> That's exactly right. Mark gave him an award. I, I, I gave him Chankward. I, I started to get to know him and, and realized he's schooling me. Yeah, he's teaching you. Absolutely, absolutely. And the guy's a marketing genius. On top of it, his big, the biggest thing he's gotten so far for himself... Forbes Riley. This show. <laughs> this show. And Forbes Riley, who I used to manage. Yeah, you know Forbes Riley. I and, do know Forbes. Very, uh, not and right. she's crazy about him. Well... Samantha here, who's this adorable little munchkin of an actress, uh, had him on uh, her show a couple weeks ago, and it was, that was fun. Uh, all the way we hooked up with this guy, he's in Pakistan. We managed to, uh, what I did this morning is I ran a landline directly from uh, Outlaw Radio all the way to Pakistan, hooked it up, and came back so that we could have me and Mosin Zia, the only Pakistani author, not in the world, because there's lots of authors over there. Yeah, the, but the only one that makes a, a big deal about it. <laughs> yeah, he sure does. Yeah. Well, he's won awards internationally. Right. He's been on uh, TV shows internationally. Correct. Uh, he won the uh, Reader's Favorite Book That I Ever Bought Award, or whatever it was. That, that's the one you made up. No, 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 no. He won, he won okay. the... Uh, I will ask him about that. It was the same one Jim Carrey won. I am going to give him the Howard Lapidus self-promotion Award for 2017. Hey, Did you John, hear that, man? Gentlemen, gentlemen, is there any point <laughs> yeah. we're going to listen to our kids? Yes. No. Yeah. I, I, what I, I'm doing, I, I'm doing the best I can to keep him the hell off the air. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see how fast he gets on our air, and how fast, he, how long will it take him to promote something? What's the over/under? <clears throat> Instantaneously. Okay. Mian, welcome to the show. First of all, thank you so very much for uh, such a such a such a kind uh, introduction. <laughs> I really feel humble. It adds to my humility and makes me feel so small uh, to be amongst uh, such great, talented, experienced, and seasoned seasoned uh, campaigners like you guys. Uh, I thank you for having me on the show. It's a pleasure. Yeah, yeah well, well Howard's well really seasoned, all right. For it, you? <laughs> You've got that right. Uh, uh, it, it's. Uh, 
I, I got to tell people. Hey, but I don't think people know or understand that our guest is in Pakistan right now. He is in Pakistan right now. What, uh, and what time is it there? Well, it's, uh, it's 2, it's, uh, 2 a.m. Uh, in Pakistan right now at the moment. It's a 12 hours difference, like uh, we are 12 hours ahead as compared to Pacific time. So zone. they know the news before we do because they're in the future. That's right. So you know about <laughs> tomorrow. Yeah. He's great for a sports yeah. game. You could call him up and ask him who won. Yeah. <laughs> it's really fantastic. Absolutely, absolutely. Tomorrow Sometimes isn't tomorrow to him. No, tomorrow is already today. It's today. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. I, now, i got to give the audience a little bit of a backstory here on how uh, you and I hooked up. I read one of his books, uh, one called Once, which I believe is going to be a motion picture, probably produced by you, Howard. <laughs> that, that, that'll be fine. That'll be fine. Yes. And uh, this guy was doing something I had not seen anybody else do, and that was he created this multimedia experience with a print book which I thought was astounding. He had people, uh, there was an art display in Mexico, original poems from Russia, uh, one thing, I mean, just incredible that he had this like international team of ancillary artistic projects related to his novel. And okay. I went, wow. So, so. The so book was good too. How did you hook up? Uh, I don't know, me and how did we hook up? Do you remember how we met? Well, you met yeah, I still remember, but it was uh, it was uh, it was uh, early 2010 when I was uh, uh, working on my book once, Ask Me Anything Not Love, and I was promoting the book on Facebook actually, and uh, I had set up a page over there, and I was promoting the book when uh, you actually liked the page, and that's how we got connected. And uh, later on, uh, you, you you decided to read the book and review the book, and uh, when I read your review, uh, it was really very nice, and I was really humbled to read uh, your your praise uh, for my work. And and the way you acknowledge it, it was really a great experience for me and it was a great motivational, motivational factor for me as well. So that's how we hooked up and uh, ever since then, uh, we never looked back and uh, our friendship, the bond we share, uh, just got developed and got better and better with the passing of time. And uh, now it's even 2017, so it's been seven long years. Seven and long years. Now in the, in, years and during... In, in the past six in the past six months, I know you want to talk, but I'm not going to let you. Uh, <laughs> in the but in the past six months, you and I have kind of gotten to know each other, but not ever. We've never spoken. Um, but yeah, I know. Absolutely, Howard, you're right. Uh, we have been connected. Uh, we have been connected uh, through social networking sites, uh, and we have exchanged some messages as well. But uh, we, we we never spoke uh, person to person. So it's a great experience for me talking to you live uh, on such a great platform, and it's a great experience for me. And 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 me too. But uh, you know, uh, this show is we we don't take ourselves seriously. You understand that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't take Howard seriously, and I know he doesn't take me seriously. So this is uh, this is this is a true crime show that we actually have fun with, instead of those yeah, those dour uh, true crime shows that are just so boring. Oh come on! And Canadian. <laughs> and, and I think and I think that's the beauty of the show. And I think that's the beauty of the show. That's the USP of the show. That's the uniqueness of the show. That's the factor of the show. That you don't take it seriously. <laughs> and 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 now let me and now let me add one thing over here that uh, uh, in my book once that uh, Burl just mentioned I have a dialogue over the, in the book written that uh, novel writing is all about not taking yourself seriously but to take your work seriously. <laughs> so what you said uh, reminds me of my dialogue from months. Well, there there you go, and and, and we will make a movie out of that if uh, you know what the heck, why not? Yeah. 
That's what I said. Inshallah, I'm pretty much confident that the book has been uh, recommended to be a Hollywood movie, and uh, sooner or later, uh, God willing, it will be turned into a major motion picture or Hollywood movie. Or a minor motion picture. Well, then that'll, <laughs> Either that, way. And that will make you a bigger star, and, 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 and people will buy more of your books. It's, it's all, it, the way you have this thing tied up, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling, actually. I'm going to want you to make me more famous than I am. Uh, on social media. <laughs> and Howard is okay, already well, pretty well, famous. Well, I think then you should hire me as a PR, your PR manager or a marketing uh, expert uh, to, 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 to be a part of your team. That's not a bad idea. That's, that's, a, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> Uh, as long as it doesn't cost, if it costs me money, it's a really bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> what if it costs him money, Howard? If it costs him money? Yeah. I could care less. You're all, you're all for it. I'm all for that, sure. <laughs> well, you know that unless or until you don't get commercial value for your work, there's no point in doing something. You're, you're, you're a thousand, by, by the way, you're a thousand percent right. You're a thousand percent right. Not a thousand and one percent, but a thousand. <laughs> Can't be better oh, than that. Thank you so much. Now, uh, thank you, you so much. You have been praised uh, as being a, a, a marketing expert, which you are, and you started off self publishing. Doing your own stuff, yeah. your own covers, your own everything, your own promotion. You, now, you know how to do that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, over here, I would like to just mention that uh, being a marketing specialist, the point was to create a product and do something that no one else has, uh, no one else has even dared or even uh, dreamed. Uh, ha no one has ever dreamt. Uh, to do it, so I I started out doing things to make my uh, to make an indelible mark in the book industry <clears throat> with with my marketing expertise and uh, uh, and and whatever I did just uh, uh, worked for me and it set up uh, it set new standards it set a tone for uh, other authors around the world who actually looked up to me who actually started following what I started doing way uh, like uh, almost like seven to eight years back when I started writing my first book so that's how things happened and that's what marketing is all about I understand uh, you can't what, what offer something new what did you do before you wrote a book? What, what was your actual, how did you make a living? Uh, actually, uh, Howard, I, I was a student. I was I was studying in university. I was doing my uh, full, uh, master's degree, master's specialization in marketing. And at that point of time, I started writing my first book, The Strange Loyalist, inspired by two events. So, uh, so wh while I was studying, I started writing my first book. And being a marketing student, I had certain ideas that how to implement them, and I practically utilized them uh, with my with my first book, The Strange Loyalist. And from their own words, I started working on the second book, and so on and on and on. And I start, and I also worked as a marketing specialist side by side uh, to make a living. Uh, so, so let me ask you this: other than your friendship with Burl and your friendship with me. Um, what the heck are you doing on this show today? <laughs> well, what I am doing over here uh, on the sh on this show today is that I'm trying to uh, reach out uh, to your uh, to the, uh, to your audience, uh, to your listeners who listen to your show, to let them know about m my books and to let them know that how good these books are, so they should buy it, they should read it, and they should enjoy it and get entertained. What does it have to do with true crime? Nothing. Zero, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not. Well, well, as far as true crime is concerned, I, I, I would like to just add over here that as far as true crime is concerned, that uh, if my first book, The Strange Loyalist, uh, 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 or, or even my third book, Victim of Shame, uh, th those are those actually fall into the category of thriller, suspense. 
so 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 i write realistic fiction uh, that is very close to reality so when they read uh, the strange dollies or if they read victim of shame uh, they will they will get a feel of a true crime <laughs> so it, it actually relates to your show it makes well, logical sense to me to have me on your show nice nice try <laughs> good, good. Uh, but, uh, well, but, you've had you've had Barry Katz on here what true crime was that it was a crime yeah it was a crime evidence <laughs> 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 We've had people on there, movie directors and actors, etc. Really no, we, no, we like to, to, to broaden our scope. We, we yeah. broaden our scope. It's not just true crime, and that's what, uh, you know, the true crime folks out there that really love true crime will consider us kind of a breath of fresh air, and then they go back to the dowers. Oh, and, come on. Quit picking on our friends. I am picking on our friends. <laughs> I know you always do. Uh, if I don't mention Dan Zabansky's name... Uh, somewhere in the first 10, 15 minutes of every show, he it's gets not mad a show. at you. Yeah, yeah. no, he, he does get mad. At now uh, he you, does have. He now, does I got to talk about a marketing thing here, real quick. Dan has a great show. He does. Okay, not as good as ours. Well, not as funny. It's as not even close. <laughs> but he has a good show. We have the number one. Our well, show, and 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 you know this, uh, man. We, we, we are number one. We're the number one true crime show. Anywhere on any air, and that's why, and, and that's why you have Mia on your show. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Because Mia deserves the best. Because that's the crime. <laughs> that's the crime right there. Now, uh, <laughs> I'm going to mention now one of the reasons, uh, one of the marketing plans of True Crime Uncensored, the show that you're on at this very moment, is true crime primarily uh, is known as a female-driven genre. Women are the primary buyers and readers of true crime, and yet Outlaw Radio, uh, from uh, Magic Bad Allen's uh, beautiful uh, bar here, uh, is a predominantly male-dominated audience. And we thought it'd be great fun to try to bring true crime to a male audience, which, which we have succeeded in doing. Your books also, the primary people who are buying your books are women who are crazy about you. I mean, if you wanted to wife me in, you could get one from any country in the world about but, that. But, but let me uh, let me insert here. Uh, don't do that. <laughs> don't do. Don't get a wife. Don't 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 do that. I, I won't because I'm Mia No Time for Love, and Burl knows that, and everyone knows that. <laughs> yeah, but the, the character. But you, just, but you just got finished writing a great love story. Yeah, that, that, that now, now these things actually add to my marketing strategy. Like if Mia No Time for Love writes a love story, people get excited. People, uh, I, I used to get attention, so people, people, people get more excited that what kind of a love story he would have written if he has no time for love, and why, uh, and what would it would be about? Uh, what, what would it be about? And that makes logical sense as far as my marketing expertise are concerned. That if Mia No Time for Love has written a love story, people automatically get attracted towards the book, and they want to know what the book is about, all about. And when I have written it, I have written it so well that the book actually uh, went on to receive uh, Reader's Favorite International Book Award that was won by Hollywood superstar Jim Carrey in 2014 and Mia uh, won it in uh, 2016. Uh, real quick, uh, I don't know whether you realize this or not, but you have a very heavy Pakistani accent. <laughs> <laughs> so slow down so the, uh, the English dopes like me can understand what you're saying. That's very important. Um... I have nothing more. <laughs> I, I would like to know. That's Mark, Mark Boyer Mark, asking Mark, a question. Mark over here in the corner. I'd like to know, um, you haven't written the book yet, but you already have a cover and a promo video. What's up with that? Talking about the book Missing. 
Yeah, uh, Mark, first of all, uh, let me answer Howard that. Howard, it's all about the fluency. It's not about speaking fast or uh, try to get slow down. It's about the fluency. So even in uh, states, some people speak so fast that you don't understand that what they have said or you have to put, uh, you have to focus on what they are saying. So it's about not being fast. It's about the fluency. So alhamdulillah, I have that fluency like a native speaker. Now, coming back to Mark's question, Mark, actually, the thing is that... Uh, missing. Uh, you can also uh, relate it to true crime to your show. Now let me tell you, answer your question that it, it already has a cover and it already ha has a teaser trailer. Uh, Mark, the point is that uh, unless or until you don't do something new, how can you establish yourself? How can you stand out in the crowd? The point was that uh, the book is already in the making. I'm already working on the book. So it's not something that the book has not been written or it's not in progress and a cover has been done or a teaser trailer has been done. So The so teaser trailer has been done and the covers, the photo shoot, all the images, all the posters that you have already seen, they're actually all related to the book, related to the storyline, related to the plot. And they actually, they actually depict important scenes or the theme or the feel or the flavor of the book. So being a marketing specialist, while I have wrinkles uh, that just got released last year and I'm working on missing, I want to let my readers connected with me and they should know that what their favorite author who follow me, what he is up to and what he's doing next. So that's how the promotion of the book actually got started and for every book I have a new marketing strategy. So, uh, he's when, on top when, of when, it. <laughs> when you finally write the book, are you gonna you're gonna probably have some idea of what the, your audience wants? Yeah, the, the, the basic, basically the way I write book is that I have the plot written, I have everything set up. The only thing I need to do, or I'm working at the moment, is I'm just uh, writing down the book in the form of chapters. So I'm very much aware of what the, what the story is, what the plot is. So it's not going to change. So based upon that, because I'm an author and also a marketing specialist, that helps me to get all these stuff, all these things done in a timely manner, and all these things connected with each other. Well, like, it, uh, it, it's fascinating because it's it's not how things are done. Uh, so, however, that's how a, uh, American International Pictures used to do it. Samuel C. Arkoff used the same methodology, even more so. He would have the one sheet for the movie first, and then he'd go to the writers and say, yeah. write me a movie that's, the, 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 that's the, like the this poster. The yeah, but that, that, that happens. It's happened in, in marketing um, in the early on stages of the infomercial in the United States. Uh, what they would what they would do is th they would come up with the product or the book, and, mm -hmm. and back then mm -hmm. we're talking in the late fifties, early sixties. They'd come up with mm -hmm. the book mm -hmm. and they would they would put it out there. They would market it, just like you're doing, by the way. They would have a trailer. Mm -hmm. They would have the whole nine yards. They would not have the book, and mm -hmm. what they would do is they would put it out there and and put it out there for sale. And if enough people said they wanted to buy the book and actually put the money down, then they would go hire an author and write the damn book and then fulfill the orders. If they didn't get enough orders, they would just scrap it. Um, but now, now, let me, let, now let me add over here something that uh, now I will give you a realistic example, practical example, that what actually happened with missing. Like uh, my marketing strategy did wonders for me because I had a teaser trailer of missing 
and Wild Blue Press uh, actually signed a deal with me. They actually signed a three-book deal with me. They actually were blown away with the teaser trailer of Missing and they just got, they simply loved it and they just wanted to have their hands on the book and they wanted to get this book published by Wild Blue Press. Which well, it will be. Well, me and, me and, we have to take a one-minute break, 60 seconds, to do some marketing ourselves. We'll be right back with me and Mohsen Zia, live from Pakistan on True Crime Uncensored on Matt Allen's Brilliant Outlaw Radio Live.com. in a dive bar on the politically incorrect side of the tracks. Leaning my rifle, dreaming of you. Radio from the Hollywood fringe. Smoking, drinking, interrupting. Outlaw Radio with Magic Matt Allen. Leaning my rifle and dreaming of you. Scratching your audio itch every Saturday. Charismatic, outrageous, edgy, hilarious. Radio for the mentally challenged. Chronic talk from the panic room. Look, up in the sky. Smoking, drinking, interrupting. Magic Mad Allen. This is Outlaw Radio. Now you can take your smoking, drinking, interrupting. Uncensored, I'm wandering around aimlessly wondering what the hell to do with myself. And then someone says, why don't you write a book? And so I do. My latest masterpiece, and I do have several, is Betrayal in Blue, the true story of Ken Jarrell and Michael Dow, the two most corrupt cops in the NYPD. They were making uh, about 13 grand a year as cops and eight grand a week providing protection for a Dominican drug cartel. Hey, nice work if you can get it. They say crime doesn't pay, but the hours are good. Betrayal in Blue by Burl Bear, Frank Gerardo Jr., and Ken Urell. Yep, the real Ken Urell uh, is available by, well, you can get it as an e-book, or you can get it as a paperback, or you can get it as an audio book. What a deal. You can also pick up A Taste for Murder by Burl Bear and Frank C. Gerardo Jr. That's why they did the TV special on an Investigation Discovery, and that sure helped those damn book sales, I'll tell you that. I want you to buy all my books, whether you read them or not. Mere possession of the bookends bespeaks volumes of your erudition and good taste. And now, let's get back to True Crime Uncensored. Now you can take your smoking, drinking, interrupting obsession with you 24 hours a day on any phone or device. And it's all free. Just go to your friendly app store and search for Outlaw Radio. Then look for the red letters on the sign with the bullet holes in it and download it. It's free. Listen free on the road, in your car, at the beach, or in your backyard. It's all free from Outlaw Radio. This is Buddy Twist. 
saying goodnight from Hollywood. Back to True Crime Uncensored with Burl Bear and Howard Lapidus. Me too, yeah. And Mark C.G. Boyer, our fact checker. Yeah, yeah. Are you going to play that part? Nah, we'll get to it. <laughs> we'll get to point. it sooner or later. Featuring Mark C.G. Boyer. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, okay. Uh, Mian Mothan Azia, live from Pakistan on True Crime Uncensored. Uh, he's got women all over the world. What the heck is it books. like? What's it like to live in Pakistan? Seriously. The pretty? Did we lose him? Mian, you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Yeah, yeah Pakistan, pretty. Is it nice there? What's it like to live there? Yeah, absolutely. Indeed. Why not? It's one of the best countries in the world. Yeah, I bet. Lovely. I haven't been there myself. Well, I, uh, then I invite you through this platform on this show. I invite you to visit Pakistan. Howard, Bull, Mike. I invite you all, and I'm sure that you will love Pakistan. You will love this country. You will love the people over here. The people are very friendly, very loving, and very caring. You will love the hospitality of the country, and you will love it. So do you, do you have a house there or a, an apartment, a condo? Or? No, house, 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 house. Oh. And you got parents? Do you have any brothers or sisters? Yeah, I'll, yeah, Alhamdulillah, I live uh, I live along with my parents, and uh, I have uh, a one elder brother and one sister. So you have space in the basement for me? <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, we have space for you in a hut. Ah, oh, in a hut. In their heart. Oh, in, in, oh, space in your heart. Uh, yeah, I don't think he'd fit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Even second, don't worry about that. We, 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 we Pakistanis are very loving and very caring. So once you come over here, you will see that how much care and how much love and how how much affection you will get from us, and you won't love, you won't you won't uh, you won't feel disappointed. I'm why, sure. why do you think? I that, you. Why do you think that people in the United States are afraid of Pakistan? Well, I don't think so that people in the United States are afraid of, of people in Pakistan. Had that been the case, you wouldn't have had me, had me on, your, on your show today. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Now, are uh, people in Pakistan buy your books? Yeah, obviously. Why not? Uh, in fact, uh, some of them have uh, purchased my book uh, uh, and, and asked me to have my sign, uh, my signature on the book. They wanted my autograph on the book. Well, how about that? I, I I would want one of those. I gave uh, Vic. Remember Vic? Yeah. Yeah. What a jerk. I <laughs> I gave Vic a signed copy of one of my books. He refused to take it. <laughs> well, I've done that too. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a, that's the story there. I've got Headshot. What's the name of that book? Again? Yeah, I got a book called Headshot. Yeah, I've got that. It's in the trunk of my car. That's a good place for it because bodies are often found there. That's correct. <laughs> so that that fits perfectly. Uh, so you've got the book up, which I uh, thought was really ahead of the curve. And as uh, Howard was saying during the break, a lot of people now have caught up to what you were doing uh, seven, eight years ago. You were really ahead of what everyone else was doing in terms of marketing, promotion of books. Have kind of caught up with you. Uh, have you been invited to speak, like, uh, to marketing classes and universities and stuff like that? Hello? Ian, have you been invited yeah, to yeah. speak at marketing classes? Uh, well, actually, I was a guest of honor at one of the leading universities in Pakistan where I had to lecture the students on marketing and branding. And uh, currently, I'm also in uh, in discussion with another um, one of uh, one of the, uh, uh, a major university uh, that would like me to uh, that would like me to be a guest and uh, give a lecture to the students on marketing and branding as well. Now, this must be kind of strange for some of them because you're not that much older than some of the students. 
So to have someone... Yeah, indeed. And, and yeah, yeah. let me tell you over here that uh, when I was uh, the, uh, the guest of honor at one of the leading universities in Pakistan where I had to lecture the students on marketing and branding, um, the other senior people, all the others were really very, very surprised to see me that how young I am. I look like a student, in fact. And they asked me precisely that what is the reason, uh, what, what, what is the key to success or what's the secret of my success? So they were really very much surprised about that. So you are absolutely right. I agree with you. And I just felt very humble and I was very thankful to Almighty Allah for uh, for blessing me with uh, with such a great honor when I, I was there as a chief guest uh, uh, at, a, uh, at one of the best universities in Pakistan. So the answer is really good skin cream? <laughs> Keep him looking so young. So, he so is that, young. Yeah. Well, well, the answer is that uh, when you are just... Hello? Did we still did we lose him? I think we lost him. Me, yeah. are you there? Hello. We might have lost the connection. I think we lost the connection. I think we should, uh, if we hang up, he'll call us back. Yeah, but Matt's not there to hang up. <laughs> Mark, no, can you go I'm do something about that? We're yeah. sending Mark to uh, to find Matt, uh, who runs and hides during our show, to prepare for his show, which takes a lot of preparation. Even listeners have it to does. prepare. It, it does. You know, that reminds me. Outlaw Radio is a highly researched, seriously, yeah, show and highly prepared. Uh huh. Today, uh, the show uh, comes on in mere minutes, uh, about a half hour from now. It's going to be extraordinarily interesting. Um, many, many different um, ideas and people will be uh, coming through that show today for sure. Well, it's uh, always so exciting that. No, so. I mean, I, I, I know a little bit about what's going to happen, and it's going to be quite interesting and quite good. So I'm looking forward to Outlaw Radio. Uh, finding the, a branding guy like uh, Mian. Mian. Um, it's interesting to see how he does it. You know, like one question I want to ask him if we get him back is it, the book that I always allude to that I'll never write. Uh, my 89 Days my with Paul 89 Abdul. 89 Days with Paul Abdul. If he could market that before I write it, yeah, and we sell it first, then I'll have you just write it. Okay. And <laughs> and and then uh, you know I'll say I wrote it, but really. Brutal. Yeah. Well, that's called ghostwriting. That's what it's called. <laughs> yeah. But I, I I would have to pay you, and I don't intend to. Yeah, I know that. But uh, we'd sell it. I think yeah. we'd sell a lot of books. Oh, of course. Yeah. But especially if me and Nelson Zia is doing the marketing on it. <laughs> it would be interesting, uh, you know, because he could put a trailer together in a second. Yeah. Because there's nothing but real good uh, tape on her that is available. Public domain. And public domain, and we can use it in, in what the heck. She might sue you. Do you think she'd sue you? I would hope she would. <laughs> because I, I could have so much fun with that. She wouldn't because she knows I know too much. And and um, and, and that, what she doesn't know is I, I won't give her up. And I'll never write the book. Yeah, I mean, you know well, that. if if Mia does the marketing and people want to buy it, I still won't write it. <laughs> I'll write it. You can write it and yeah, actually put your name on it. But but it, it's uh, it'd be very difficult for me to uh, to out, so to speak, someone that was a client because I would probably never sign another client again. So. <laughs> well, you're getting to that. Hold on, buddy. Hold on. Hold okay. on. Oh, there we go. We get him back now. Hey, Mia. Is he back? Me in? Yeah, I'm back. Oh, he's uh, back. Think, um, Here, here's the thing, and I know a lot of Pakistanis don't know how to do this, but don't hang up in the middle of the call. 
I think it was an accident. <laughs> well, no, actually, it wasn't some, something like that. It actually, the call just like got disconnected. So it wasn't something that... Uh, uh, you you didn't do that on purpose. <laughs> Uh, we're Obviously. Glad, we're glad you came back. What we were talking about uh, in uh, that moment that we didn't have you is that yeah. the book that I intend, uh, I talk about writing, which I'll never write, is My 89 Days with Paula Abdul. Now, we could take that and market the heck out of it and do a trailer and do the whole nine yards, just everything that you're doing with Missing, and then see if people <laughs> really want to buy the book. It would be interesting. Sure, why not? <laughs> okay, we'll do that. And if they do want to buy the book, then I'll have Burl write it, and I won't pay him. Um, <laughs> I suspect, uh, Howard, that you'll have more contacts from attorneys than just fans. And as I said, I'm hoping that that be the case. Because that that would, <laughs> if she sued me, it would give us so much publicity, right? Me and we would have a, so much publicity from that lawsuit that we would sell even more books. That's the plan. Hmm. Well, actually, actually, Howard, the thing was that when I started working on Missing, I, I never, uh, uh, I, was, I, I wasn't thinking about the fact that uh, 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 any publishing house or someone would come up to me or show their interest in the book. I was just doing my work, and that's how things happened. It's, it's simply that I, do, I always have said that when you're destined to achieve some, something, you do achieve it. So it wasn't something that I keep, uh, uh, like, had at the back of my mind that okay let's go this way and maybe I should attract a publishing house or something like that I was just doing my work and my work was uh, was, was 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 good enough uh, that it was exceptionally good enough that uh, uh, a US publishing house Wild Blue Press they actually uh, had me on board and uh, signed a deal uh, signed a three book deal with me well that's you know that's exactly what I, I think what happened here I think you could make not only that famous I think what we should do is have you take True Crime Uncensored, make that famous. Take Outlaw Radio, make that famous. And uh, well, we're already famous, sir, Howard. But you, you do what you have to do, bud. <laughs> I'm just trying to get more famous. If anyone can make you more famous, Howard, it would be me. And I want to be number one in Pakistan. We do have listeners in Pakistan. At the moment, Howard, are you number two? Bad in a subway tour. After this show, after this show, you will be definitely number one in Pakistan. <laughs> I agree. Excellent. Yeah, it's about time, because I was tired of Dan Zupanski being number one in Pakistan. <laughs> are, are you able to take a copy of this show and then remarket it in Pakistan? Yes. The thing is that it's not about marketing in Pakistan. Actually, the thing is that think of the moon and you'll fall somewhere in the stars. You, you need to you need you need to think uh, to get to the highest level, the max, the highest level. And if you think about just a particular section or a particular cohort, if you want to just impress a particular uh, a, a particular group or a particular segment from the market, that won't help the help the cause. You just need to th think that you need to attract, you need to grab uh, the, 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 the largest, uh, the largest um, um, uh, section or the biggest segment of the market, and, and, and you will definitely be able to do it. If you just think about uh, targeting just a particular section, particular country, particular cohort, particular group, that won't help the cause. So if you have a book, definitely uh, I'm sure that uh, you have written. A, you, you're a great. Uh, uh, you have great achievements under your belt. Uh, Burl is a legendary author 
who doesn't knows Burl? He, uh, he he has written such great books, and uh, I have always said uh, to Burl, and I will always shared my th- uh, my thoughts about Burl's books, uh, about his marketing. I have even uh, uh, you you are a famous uh, a Hollywood producer yourself, Howard. So I I, I would say that uh, if you have written a book, then definitely uh, uh, you uh, you must uh, you must uh, uh, follow your heart, and you must definitely uh, promote it. And I'm sure that it will be good. Do good for you. Well, I think that uh, the, the fact that I produced Freddie Got Fingered uh, catapulted me. Oh, I got to tell you, Howard, when I was uh, in Florida and I had dinner with uh, these two great Ukrainian guys, uh, I guess Americans would say they were in the, the Russian mafia at one time. Uh, I mentioned Freddie Got Fingered and they went nuts. Is that right? Oh, they said, that's a classic. That's a classic. Howard did that. Well, he's a genius. That's a classic film. That's brilliant. <laughs> well, I, 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 I do have my friends in the Russian mob. And um, and they agree. They agree, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's very nice to hear. Oh, they, you know, I, they were dumbfounded. They were just ecstatic. Well, we were they made, thunderstruck? Yeah, we, they were we, thunderstruck, we too. made, and, and me and us, we made a, a, a cult movie. You know, that was not very popular when it first came out, but over the last 15 years, it has become a classic. Um, and, <laughs> and, and, and quite frankly, I've embarrassed my children. <laughs> I started to watch it once, and oh boy, uh, I can see why it's become a classic. Well, they're old, <laughs> my kids are old enough now to go, hey, Dad, really? You did that? I mean, <laughs> you know, my friends watch that, we make fun of it all the time. That's good. You're Do you watching. still get checks in the mail on that one? No. 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 Not even on DVD sales? Not, or not, not uh, the thing made more money a- after the fact, but we were paid in advance for that to happen. Ah. So, so we did we did very well on that movie off the top. So, and uh, you know, I've spent the money, so what do I care? That's right. I always say, that's my motto, spend the money. Well, no, it, it's, it was a long time ago, and I spent the money. I put uh, those kids that make fun of me, my kids that make fun of me for making that movie, are in uh, one has graduated college on the money that was made from that movie. Right, you and Bobcat Goldwaite. Yeah, and, and one is about to go to college on the money that we made from that movie. So they can make fun of me all they want. That's right. <laughs> I don't care. That's uh, what that's what Bobcat Goldwaite said about that uh, whatever film he did that got such bad. Uh... Oh, he did that. Um, he did that thing with Sandler actually. Um, and he said uh, that that film paid for that this was, house. <laughs> that was, it did, and it did. And and he'll tell you. And Bob Bob's a friend. He'll he'll tell you that uh, you know he knows what we did with Freddie. You know it was kind of the same thing. So um, thank you for saying I'm a. a, a so what what you, you say about me being? He a said fam- you're a famous famous, a famous uh, Hollywood producer. Yeah. Um, I don't think of myself as that, but damn well you're right. Yeah, <laughs> you are absolutely right, man. He is a famous Hollywood producer. Yeah, in my in my head. Uh, man, and, I'm I'm running out of uh, oxygen in the room as the head starts to swell here. My head is swelling. <laughs> me and nose. He's researched me. I see. You have, correct? I, I've researched you also. You, uh, and uh, I'm quite uh, I'm quite impressed. Oh, there's some good stuff on on me out there, and I and I. Uh, yeah, my head is swelling right now. Well, Mian manages to get all these various people to endorse his books and hold his coffee cups. Uh, which, which is hysterical, by the way, Mian. That is funny. I, I, wanna, I want to endorse a coffee cup uh, for, <laughs> for you. 
I really do. <laughs> I, I would love to have my name and my picture on a coffee cup with yours. Okay. Do you have a? Do you have the phrase that goes on the coffee cup? Damn good book. <laughs> <laughs> Says Howard Lapidus. <laughs> What's wrong with that? Yeah. Nothing. Damn good book. That says it all. And it's a love story, no less. <laughs> Indeed, the book, is, the, the, book itself, the book itself is great enough uh, that actually excites people to have its merchandise with their, brand, with their personalized name printed on it. So I think that's what makes people excited to have their personalized branded drinkers mug. And that's what happened with, uh, with, with, with Hollywood actors, with actors from British film industry, uh, all the American actors. I'm really thankful to all of them uh, for showing such great response, for showing such great support, and for acknowledging, praising, endorsing me. Uh, and and it's, it's 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 a huge honor for me. It it, it really uh, it really adds uh, adds to my list of achievements and makes me stand out in the crowd and makes me the only Pakistani author and marketing specialist who has been endorsed by Hollywood actors, who has been endorsed by uh, actors from British film industry. Um, even even my merchandise my merchandise has been well received by American superstar as big as Forbes really. Uh, so so there there are several things that actually adds to my credibility. So I'm really thankful and because the product itself is good enough. I always believe that if a product is not good enough, even 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 best of the marketers won't help uh, to get the product sell. So it's the product at the end of the day that needs to be good enough, and that's what I actually work on. Because uh, because if my product, if my book is not good enough, uh, all these marketing strategies, all these marketing tools, all these marketing techniques won't help the cause. So no. I need to first work on the marketing, and that helps me because I think like an author, and then I think like a marketing specialist. So. Uh, it's all down. To, it's all down. It's a package uh, that is actually created at the end of the day for for the end user, for the buyer. I want my readers to get something out of it. If if someone is buying my book, spending some X amount of dollars, I want them to get something out of it. I don't want them to put the book aside. I want the book to be in their hands, and they should think about it once they are even done reading. So the book stays with them long after they are not they are done reading, and that's what has happened with my book once. That has uh, has happened with my other books as well, and even with Wrinkles as well. You just go to Amazon. Yeah, I noticed that. Uh, when you read the reviews of Wrinkles, which is an unusual yeah. love story, he's famous. Well, me and his famous for twist. Uh, so we say throwing. Well, I a want him to uh, tell us about Wrinkles. Seriously, tell us about that but, book. Yeah. Sure. Well, uh, 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 Howard, actually, uh, Wrinkles is a slice of life, uh, is a slice of life true love story, a feel-good book featuring five custom poems that are reflective of the character's feelings. It's a very powerful book, and when I started writing the Wrinkles, I actually wanted to write a feel-good book. That was the main objective. I wanted to write a feel-good book, a slice of life true love story. But but once I went on, uh, it became so good, so good, so good that it became uh, even the most powerful story of the year. And uh, it has everything. Uh, Wrinkles has a heartfelt mother-son relationship, a one-of-a-kind friendship, and a tried and true love, which will make you believe that a true love story never ends. It makes for a brilliant tapestry of human interaction. It is a must-read for those who believe in true love and true friendship. It uh, also highlights the role of a mother and the significance of her role within the family. Anyone who has ever fallen in true love, experienced true friendship, and shared a great bond with his or her mother would definitely love wrinkles. And let me tell you over here that... Um, an American author, um, she actually bought two copies of Wrinkles on the Mother's Day, uh, one for herself and one to present to her mother. 
and um, and she 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 loved the book uh, very much that she even presented a copy of the book to her mother so so it is actually that that any person who will read Dinkel will somehow relate himself or herself to the characters of the book and that's what i i just mentioned that it makes a brilliant tapestry of human interaction that everyone loves his or her mother everyone shares a great bond with his or her family everyone has uh, has somehow somewhere following true love or experience true friendship so so everyone has something in the book with which they can relate themselves and, and they can cherish their life experiences and that's what makes a makes wrinkles a really great book a very solid book and a very powerful book so and the thing is is that people uh when i read the reviews they all pretty much say the same thing that is it's one of those books that you don't just read it and put it down that months later you're still thinking about it still relating to it and i think that's Absolutely. that's quite an achievement for any author indeed indeed alhamdulillah that is a huge achievement and that's what i actually intend to write and that's what i'm trying to do with i have done with all my books and i'm very uh, i feel really very humble to see the great response from people around the world uh, especially from united states of america and other parts of the world uh, what else i can say even hollywood actors even american actors even actors from british film industry have given their uh, have given five star reviews to the book so so they, it it leaves nothing more to say even 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 the merchandise of the book has been well received by american superstar as big as forbes really and and many other hollywood actors american actors and actors from british film industry so it means nothing more to say that uh, how good the book itself how good the marketing the, of the book has been so 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 i would just only say that the reviews that the book has received and even the book went on to win readers favorite international book award like uh, this is the same award that hollywood superstar jim carrey won in 2014 so to to stand in that league of uh, great men and uh, winning that award uh for a book uh, it, it is a huge 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 achievement and it it it, it also adds uh, lots of more responsibility on my shoulders to uh, to deliver uh, the same quality again and that's what i have done with once uh, and then i went on to write another book and then uh, wrinkles and now i'm working on missing so so this is what a brand is all about a brand is something that you constantly deliver same quality time and time again that's, that 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 makes you a brand and that's what i focus on and that's what the brand of books i have uh, i write uh, helps me to establish myself uh, and to stamp my authority and get better and better day by day and get more and more readers and my readers actually uh, are my strength my readers are my strength and i write for my readers i i write for them and their reviews actually helps me a lot because that actually motivates me and any author even however you are a producer you are a great producer bol himself is a legendary author you know that uh, uh, artists always uh, always get motivated uh, when they get a good response or when they get a positive feedback uh, from uh, from their from their uh, no, you hit on something very important me and i remember uh, yeah. uh, uh, uh michaela ha- hamilton from uh, kensington publishing said don't read your reviews on amazon and i said why is that <laughs> she said because you'll read a bad review Uh, or someone will say something negative. Some of it is just a troll. Someone who's even never even read the book, but they like to delight in lowering your scores, and that one will haunt you. All the positive ones, you'll forget about. No, I, I never have any clients. Uh, my recommendation is never read reviews, because as as many good ones you have, you get bad ones, and and the bad ones, by the way, are the ones that stick. 
the good ones get thrown out the window. It's a fascinating process. Yeah. So she said the only review that counts is the one from your editor at the publishing company saying, we want to sign you to write more books. That's the, that, <laughs> well, he knows that. Agreed. Agreed. Burl, 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 Burl and Howard, uh, you are both 100% correct over here, but I would like to just mention over here that, yes, uh, you are absolutely correct that some people actually try to uh, uh, try to hurt or dent your star rating on Amazon with their fake reviews and, and blah, blah, blah. But the point over here is that uh, one should be never bitter towards a bitter experience of, of life. Uh, even if you get a negative review, you shouldn't. You shouldn't get. Uh, you shouldn't be bothered about it. I think. Fact, I, I, I think. I, I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask you a question, which I, I I shouldn't ask because I do know the answer. But do you write in pack in in Pakistani first and then have it translated to English? No, 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 no. I write in English. I write in English. Um, uh, in Pakistan, the native language is Urdu language, uh, but I write in English. I, I, I write the book in English. I never write in 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 in, in some other language and then get, get it translated. I write in English. I did not know that. See, I I had figured it the other way around, and I, my question then would be, and it still is. So you write in English when it does get it does get translated. Does it get lost in the translation? Well, like you had your book translated into Russian. I don't know if you read Russian or not. Uh, I've had my books translated into seven languages, uh, one of which I'm semi-fluid in, which is English. But um, even Hebrew. The only thing I recognized on the Hebrew edition of my book was my name, because I remember that from my bar mitzvah. <laughs> ah. <laughs> that was about it. I couldn't read the rest did, of the book. Did, did they use your Hebrew name? <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Yeah. I think I'm going to use my Hebrew name for the rest of today's show. <laughs> and what would that be, Ben Bot? Uh, Chaim Ben Zvi. Chaim Ben Zvi. Yeah. Ben Zvi. My father was Zvi, so it's Ben Zvi. Mm -hmm. So it's Chaim, son of Zvi. Yep, I was son of son of Herzl. Yeah, we've had yeah. son of Sam on here too. <laughs> oh, quiet. That's actually where that came from, but people don't really know or understand that that the son of Sam. Yeah. But um, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about. Uh, mine and, and his marketing strategy and his and his books. I have and, a I have a question for our yes, guest. Yes, sir. Uh, this is your fifth book, missing. Yeah, missing. Missing so, is gonna be my fifth book, inshallah. So what um, what have you learned from the other four books and the writing process that you're bringing to this book? Well, the thing is that uh, it's not about it's not about that uh, you actually try to uh, calculate. It's about your passion. Writing is my passion. Right? I, I've always said that uh, I'm an author by choice, not by profession. So uh -huh. writing is something that is a that is a platform or a medium for me uh, to reach out, uh, to express my emotions, and to and to write something that not only entertains but also enlightens. I always intend to write a meaningful fiction. So 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 my objective at the end of the day when I start a project is not about thinking that uh, uh, what I would like to get out of it. My objective is that what I can give to readers. What I think you misunderstood. I think you misunderstood my question. Uh, I'm a writer also. It just happens to be computer programs. Every time you okay. write something, you learn. You learn something mm -hmm. uh, in the process, and then you take okay, what okay, you've I learned and you bring it. that to the next project. So what yeah, I'm asking okay, is okay, that okay, you've written four books, and mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. must have learned something from that experience of those yeah. four books. Yeah, well, actually, the thing is that what I learned uh, uh, from uh, my experience uh, is, uh, is that... Uh, uh, 
you need, uh, I always believe that no matter whatever level you reach in life, getting better never stops. So this is the first thing that I have learned, uh, even though I have written uh, four books so far, Alhamdulillah. So I have learned the, the, the best thing or the one thing that I have learned uh, uh, from this process is that no matter whatever level you reach in life, getting better never stops. So so, 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 so learning is a never-ending loop. So you cannot uh, say that I have learned this much or I have learned that much. The point is that learning, uh, le uh, learning is a never-ending loop. You constantly keep on learning. And uh, what I have learned is that uh, how you can write better and, and how you can like attract people towards your writing, what, what people want to read, what you need to write, and how you can get better and better with each book. But my procedure, my process has been the same. My process has been the same, and 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 and, and, and I have and I have always focused on the process. If the process is right, results will come automatically. So I have always learned that I should focus on the process, not about the results. If the process is right, results will come automatically. So these are the things that I have learned uh, that uh, uh, how I need to get a better product and make a better product, a more refined product. Product, and uh, I, I just uh, applied a different kind of a uh, strategy based upon my learning, uh, based upon what I learned from the previous three books of mine when what? I was working on Lincoln. What? What? My objective was to, to really focus, to really, really, really focus on the editing phase of the, of the book. What you, the book but, went, Mayan, what you haven't said, but I think is the big answer, because you've said it and alluded to it in this interview, is that you have learned to listen to your audience. Yeah, yeah. I've learned to listen to my. I, I've learned to listen to my audience, but it doesn't mean that uh, uh, if I have learned to listen to my audience, I would change my product or I would refine or reshape my product. It's not that. What I have learned to listen to my audience is that I, I, I is something that my audience needs a more refined product. So that's what I focused when I was working on wrinkles. In Wrinkles, what I did is that I really focused on the editing phase, on the proofreading phase of the book. So, so that was that was a really uh, a, 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 a real big challenge for me because it had it, it, it had it demanded me to put in lots of extra effort and lots of hard work. So, so, so the editing phase is something that even through this show, I would like to say to other authors that. Uh, who actually want to write a book or who are writing a book or who want to self-publish or whatever, I would just like to tell them that writing a book is something else. But, but editing phase, the phase where you edit your book to prove you read your book, is, is, is also as important as uh, you write a book. So most of the times, what mistake people do is they, they think that if they have written a book, uh, they have won the battle, they have done the job. No, half the job is done. The rest of the half is all about the proofreading and editing phase where you can really define and polish your product. And you have to work very diligently, very closely with your proofreader and editor. But this is what authors at times lack. That's, or, or that's very, very true. Also, the fact is that you're writing for people who like your books. You're not writing for people who don't like them. And that's an important thing to keep in mind. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, and and, and 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 the point is that if you are sincere, uh, you will definitely uh, uh, put in lots of effort uh, when you get into the proofreading and editing phase because this is something that I really learned uh, from my experience. Mark, I would really like to put up over here that this is something that I really learned from my previous three books that proofreading and editing is a very, very, very important phase. So, and, so and, you uh, don't have uh, problems uh, when an editor reads your book and gives notes. You don't have problems. 
obviously, why would I have problem? The point is that I don't want the story to be changed. If if if, if my editor uh, points out something, or if my editor asks me about something, or if my editor actually suggests me something, uh, I am there to listen to to the editor, to the proofreader. But it doesn't mean that I would just uh, not use my mind and I would just uh, instantaneously change the product or make some changes. No, I won't do that. I won't do. I won't change the plot of the story. I won't make those major changes. But I would listen to the editor as long as it makes logical sense. If it makes logical sense, I will follow the editor. I will accept it. But if not, then we will have a discussion. And discussions are always very healthy. Uh, uh, brainstorming sessions are very productive. So I'll tell you, uh, me and I'll, I'll give you a perfect illustration of this. Uh, there is a book called Gone But Not Forgotten. It was a huge hit uh, internationally. Best-selling book, and they made a TV movie out of it, starring uh, 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 Matthew uh, Matt Allen's uh, old poker playing partner uh, Lou Diamond Phillips. And when uh, the book was so good that he received a three million dollar advance for this book, oh. and then his editor called up and said, "You ready to get to work?" He says, what do you mean? He says, we just paid you $3 million. We see a diamond here, but it's still a lump of coal. We got about another year's worth of work to do on it. Uh, Mian, do you get to the United States ever? We got to bring you here, Mian. We got to no, bring you over here. No, we're done. We're done. Show's all over. MianMosinZia.com. Go visit there, buy all of his books, enjoy all of his books. Thank you so much for being on the show. Magic yes, Bad Allen. I would just like to wrap up the show by saying a huge thank you to uh, Bill uh the legendary Bill Barrer, a brilliant Hollywood producer, uh, uh, Howard Lapidge, as well as Mark. I thank you all for uh, having me on the show, and I would just like to tell uh, all the all your listeners that go to buy Amazon and buy Wrinkles, read it. You will love it. Just share your reviews with me. Your reviews are very important for me. Th thanks so much. So, thank, thank, thank you very much. Thank you. I look forward to speaking to you again. This was fun. Uh, hey, bro. What's next? What's next? <laughs> <laughs> Magic Man Allen and the Demons of Decadence, live in the Line of Lounge and Allen Radio Live.com. The Baha'i Faith. Good deeds, nice people, and a history of being persecuted, abused, and insulted. Let's face it, not everybody appreciates the teachings of the Baha'i Faith. The Baha'i Faith encourages racial unity and interracial harmony, so... Racists don't like it. The Baha'i Faith upholds the equality of women, so sexists don't like it. The Baha'i Faith proclaims the harmony of science and religion, so the superstitious don't like it. And because the Baha'i Faith teaches that tolerance and love are the very foundations of a healthy community, extremist fanatics don't like it. So, if you're a racist, sexist, superstitious fanatic, chances are you won't like the Baha'is at all. But if you have an open mind and a kind heart, hey, call us. You sound like a Baha'i already. For more information on the Baha'i faith, simply look in the phone book under Baha'i, B-A-H-A apostrophe I. If you've been seeking P.F. Sloan, you're not alone. And we've got P.F. Sloan right here, right now. Howard Lapidus is here, Mark C.G. Boyer, Producer Matt Allen, legendary Burl Bear, that is I, and P.F. Sloan, the man taught to play guitar by Elvis Presley. Here's the story. Uh, the first major metaphysical experience that I, I had ever encountered was the guy behind the counter turned to cardboard. 
he was no longer present. And there was Elvis standing in front of me, and I'm looking at the uh, the guy behind the counter, and he's like frozen. And Elvis says to me, he says, uh, picks up my guitar, and he says, well, I bet you want to learn how to play this thing, huh, kid? And uh, I said, yes, because my hormones hadn't dropped yet. <laughs> yes. It's hysterical. <laughs> Keep going. Well, so uh, Elvis tunes up the guitar, and he uh, puts it in my hands, and he comes around the backside of me, and puts my hands on a D chord position and he starts singing Love Me Tender as he's showing me the, uh, the song. And uh, after we got done with learning Love Me Tender, he puts the guitar down and he starts talking to me. Um, and the best way to describe it is completely surreal. I mean, he takes me right into his heart and begins telling me what the universe is about and why we're here. And, and it, he's basically saying it's all about love. And, uh, after that, uh, he starts to walk upstairs, and he turns around, and he, he does a pose that he's not going to do for like 10 years later, which is like one of these things like that, and he goes, well, I think you're going to do just fine. And then he walks upstairs, and uh, I did what any Jewish kid would do at 12, I auditioned for an all-black record label and got signed. <laughs> I did that, too. Well, Billy Crystal's father. Well, the, yeah, we could talk, talk about his father. For, yeah, he, ran, he ran a record, record store. And, and, and it was... But, so the Jews and blues, okay? You happy? All right. Burl, can we contextualize PF? For, uh, you know, you've got the... I mean, quickly let the audience know. The audience the, should the, the know the bulk between of 1965 and 1967, P.F. Sloan wrote at least 40 to 45 charted hit songs. Uh, wrote over 100. Was cranking them out like they were flapjacks. He had them stacked in the corner of the room like cordwood. <laughs> and, in fact, I had one of your first hit tunes stuck in my head all morning, which means I'm going to ask you to play it so it'll get out of my head. <laughs> And if you still know it, which one's that? <clears throat> you baby, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. turtles, right? turtles. Mm -hmm. yeah. You remember that one? Yeah, of course I do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Would you mind playing that for us sometime during the hour? Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah nice so, uh, but, and then and then Eve of Destruction, and on and on and on and on and and. These didn't come to you as like, oh, I think I'll write a protest song now, or I think I'll write this. It all kind of came to you in a blinding flash of something when you were what 19 i don't think you need me here i think you got it down cold <laughs> uh, just, i try to be prepared phil i'll just tell you when you're off uh, when, when you're off uh, off beat here let's put it this way uh music was the most important thing in our life at uh, 13 14 15 uh I had the opportunity to be interested in all kinds of music i was listening to woody guthrie I was listening to Pete Seeger, I was listening to the Limelighters, I was listening to Odetta, I was listening to R&B stations. Uh, so all that was music to me. It's sort of like there's one sky and many clouds, but in that business you're supposed to choose one cloud and stay on it. Uh, I just felt it was one sky, and any cloud that caught my, my fancy I, 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 would, I would write to. Uh, at the age of 15, as I said, I was listening to... Woody Guthrie, Pete Seeger, and then I went to Columbia Records and asked them if they if I could get some of their throwaway albums, and they said, help yourself. 
and I went over to this great big garbage bin, and on the top of it was Bob Dylan, his first album. And so I started listening to Bob Dylan when I was about 14, 15. And if, if, if you remember that first album, he hadn't written any of his own songs. There's just something about him that, that struck me as extraordinary. And I, little did I know that that would seep into my consciousness later. And I, I considered Dylan to be a world teacher uh, at that time. Uh, the level of his consciousness uh, was extraordinary, and we just didn't based, know that. Based on listening to that, that first album, or did you have essence that you picked up? Or? It was the essence, yeah. Uh, there's something that said to me, he knows me, and this is safe. And it just, you know, uh, the division came, you know, when you want to play it for your friends, and they go, my God, this guy's awful. What are you listening to? This is terrible. They don't hear it. They don't hear it. No, they don't hear it. They didn't hear the Beatles. They didn't hear the Mamas and Papas. They didn't hear the Stones. They didn't hear... They don't hear anything. Who were they listening to? Perry Como, Patty Page. Still. Yeah. And that was talking to them? That was talking to them, yeah. Wow. That, that, that was... Safety in the culture. Uh, everyone was asleep. and But they woke up at some point. They woke up in 65, you know. What was the alarm? What, what, what did they hear? What Was it, was it the Beatles at that point? It was, yeah. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, Presley woke them up uh, in 56 and changed the world. Uh, and then the world was bent on destroying the awakening of the youth market. Uh, and so they, when Presley went into the army, that was pretty much the end of rock and roll. In comes the beginning of corporate rock, mm -hmm. and we're looking at corporate rock now, which was basically we want to be able to create the artist and uh, and market him the way we want to. Uh, the Beatles uh, basically said we want to write our songs and produce ourselves and and control it. Uh, the record business said this is not the record business. We don't want you in it. And so, you know, you most people would think, wow, they must have been really happy with the Beatles selling all the records. No, they couldn't wait. Um, matter of fact, one quick story, if I'm not talking too much, was no, after... No, that's the idea. <laughs> after, after three number one records from the Beatles, uh, EMI put them on sale. Not one record label would buy them. $50,000 for the Beatles contract. Not one record label believed that any group could make more than three number one records. Because yeah. up to that point, there's never been a... A group that made three number ones. So they were like used up, right? Exactly. Damaged goods. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly right. Wow. 65, what happened to you? What, 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 what were you doing? Fascinated. I just graduated high school. went to college. I was working at uh, Screen Gems Music Publishing Company for $10 a week because I had... Uh, this is a tip if you want to get into a publishing company. <laughs> just, just show up and sit there. And just sit there and sit there and sit there until you... You become as familiar as the lamp. There isn't, there isn't one note that goes to waste in music. You know, you write 187 songs that are just basically manure, and that's the foundation for everything to start uh, start growing. Didn't you, uh, you, you, you um, got some advice from B.B. King? I did, yeah, uh, which kind of kind of ties into my new album uh, My Beethoven which you can download on uh, foothillrecords.com BB uh, said to me when I was about 16 he said look man he said he said 90% of everything that you're going to write is going to be shit uh, and 90% of what you think is going to be bullshit 
It's it's the ten percent that you have to work for to get at. That's that's where the pure water is, um, and that served me well because that was the standard that I was looking for um, within myself. You know, growing up with you know Harold Arland and Gershwin and you know all these things that your parents were listening to. You know, Ellington. Those were, that was the standard of greatness. You know, it wasn't that to write a standard? It was the standard of greatness. Poetry, music, combination of the two. Uh, that's what you were looking for if you had the talent to do it. Um, and you had the time. Um, and obviously there's been a great great deal of people in the 60s and 70s that, uh, that, that have, have captured that, uh, that magical combination. So there you were, minding your own business, writing songs, cranking them out. And one day or one night, I don't know what the time of the day it was... You became uh, amazingly prolific and, uh, shall we say, almost prophetic. Well, better prophetic than pathetic. But yes. Well, if we have our choice. We're probably always prolific. Yes. It just came out better. Yeah, there, I, there, there, there was a sense of, of, of being prolific. You didn't really notice that when you were in it. It's just that, uh, actually, we I was minding my own business when I was about 16 years old, working at Screen Jams after school, and there was a small little record label across the hall called Domain Records, and uh, they had an artist called Round Robin, and they kept going to Screen Jams music to be able to get a hit song, but, you know, they wouldn't give them a hit song because they're a small little tiny label across the hall and that's the only reason they are there <laughs> is to be next to Screen Gems in case they throw something out. All right. So this 16-year-old kid had written this song called Kick the Little Foot Sally Ann. It was a demo for uh, my favorite artist at the time, Harry Belafonte. Uh, but Screen Gems refused to publish it. Uh, they didn't think it was worthwhile. So uh, I'm on my way up to uh, Screen Gems, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and uh, these guys from Domain Records had hired a a prostitute, mm. uh, but not your average prostitute. No, no, we don't want the average ones. No, this this she was direct from from Mexico City. She uh, <coughs> she was wearing a red red dress with uh, black nylons with bristles coming out of the bottom of the black nylons. About 250, 300 pounds. Ah. Uh, but then again, I was very young, and everyone that was overweight looked that way. But she was very... And basically, the great line that they said to me was, Phil, she's yours for a song. And you said... <laughs> <laughs> well, it just so happens. <laughs> so, so then what happened? <laughs> so that's... that's I, didn't, I just said, if you let me out of the elevator, I'll give you a song. <laughs> and, uh, so I gave them Kick That Little Foot Sally Ann, and that became uh, the first hit. Uh, that uh, that I ever had. So See, how thank God for prostitutes. <laughs> yes, they're always they always come in handy. They always. I can explain that right now, but I'm not going to get that deep into it. Okay. Much cheaper. <laughs> yeah, so just go divorce. With that. Much cheaper. <laughs> so there you have your first. But uh, I want to get to even destruction. How did that come out of you, or into you? Yeah, you bastard! You changed my life, <laughs> and and a whole lot, a whole crowd with me. It came about as a, a, a life-changing experience. Uh, there was an inner voice that sounded very holy and very angelic, and it said, take out five pieces of paper, and you're going to write 
and it started dictating titles, and I wrote the titles on each one of the, each one of the songs. And uh, I then began this debate with this voice as the songs were progressing, and the voice, the inner voice would be saying, but this is what you really feel. You know, I'm just telling you how you can say what you really feel. Uh, but as we got down into the nitty-gritty of uh, Eva Destruction, I'm writing, think of all the hate there is in Red Russia, and I just sp- speed it on. And the voice said, no, 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 it's, it's, it's Red China. And I didn't think of Red China as, as a particular threat. But this voice was telling me, you know, Russia is going to fall in the 90s, but Red China is going to go on uh, for the next 50 years. And your song is going to be a... It's going to stand in the face of people who are denying that China is a communist nation, and they're going to try and make it that they can trade with China instead of changing China. Your song is going to stand in that to make people aware that this is a communist nation. And the, the voice is making it clear to me that uh, that the divine world did not want communism on this planet anymore, and uh, this song was geared toward that. So I finished the lyric. Uh, usually I was writing melodies first and then lyric. This was all lyric. I didn't know what to do with it. I woke my mother up at 4 o'clock in the morning and said something magical has happened. And basically all she could say was, you wake your father. Uh, And I could understand that. But uh, I went to play the songs for the head of the label. And uh, they listened with their jaws down. And I'm writing a song about my cousin who turned to prostitution to be able to buy her school books. Uh, And they're saying, this is not music. What are you writing? We can't publish this. So they basically said, stop writing these songs and get back to writing your surf songs, and we're not publishing this, so don't even go there. And, you know, I I basically realized that that was something was so special about the meter of of this poetry that I needed another name for it. I couldn't be Phil Sloan. Phil Sloan couldn't write songs like this, you know. This had to be something special. So uh, I changed my name to P.F. Sloan. And uh, to that point, uh, uh, whatever happened was, was grace. You know, how, how it, that song got out into the world. Uh, but it did change my life and, and many people's lives. So you've, you've, got the, you've got the lyric to Eva Destruction plus other songs? Five other songs. Five, four other, four other songs. songs. Yeah, Sins of a Family, uh, uh, which became a hit. Uh, Take Me For What I'm Worth, uh, This Morning, uh, which in that lyric I described my own death, uh, which is very, sitting there crying at 19 years of age and describing my own, my own death. I didn't realize that it was the death of Phil Sloan. Uh, I couldn't differentiate that. It was, it was the death of Phil Sloan. Um, and then a, a, a fifth song, which was just a fun song, which I guess I needed. Uh, <laughs> Something to light a little comedy relief? Yeah, it was some really comedy relief and sort of Woody Guthrie-ish humor and stuff like that. What, what was that? Um, it was called Ain't No Way I'm Gonna Change My Mind, and it was it was done by Glenn Yarborough, and he had a hit with it. So basically every song that was written that night really... Went somewhere. Yeah, went somewhere. So, uh, the melody to uh, Eva Destruction, when did that come in? Uh, about a week and a half later, I just had no idea what to do with the lyric because the uh, there's six lines in one one lyric and five in another, and uh, you know it's just very off kilter. So um, I just put some quick guitar chords to it. 
the only thing that your listeners might be interested in is the guitar that I was working on was a, a very inexpensive guitar, acoustic guitar, with the strings very high off the frets. And so when I chose to write a melody on a guitar, it would cause extreme pain. I mean, bleeding and, and uh, in, intense pain. So the desire to actually put a melody to a song had to overcome the pain. So the melody had to be that good for me to want to go into the pain. Um, and that's a hell of a way to learn how to write songs. Yeah, it's like, a, it's like having a whip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so you're whipped into into writing this. Either you're going to do it or you're not. And it's it's well, gotta, it's got to be good enough. So to good take, to take it, the take the pain. Exactly, yeah. it's worth the pain. Yeah. Uh, and that's the way I learned to write melodies. That it's got to be. Worth and Eva Destruction, the melody to that was worth the pain. Yeah, for me it was. It was simple. Speaking of which, how did it get to to Barry Maguire? Uh, interesting story. How did it get to Barry Maguire? Um, Barry had left the New Christie Minstrels, mm-hmm. and he had uh, he wanted to do something more in his life than that. He was having troubles with the group. Uh, he went to every publishing company and record label in town, and they basically they all said, no, we're not interested. And he went to the label that I was with, uh, Screen Gems, and was turning into Dunhill at that time. And they played him a lot of Carol King songs and Barry Mann songs and Neil Sedaka songs, and that's not... Anyway... They said, hey, look, there's a kid down the hall. He's written some songs. We don't like them, but you can can have them. That's perfect. I love this. (laughs) So So I played him all my songs, which was at that time about 10 P.F. Sloan songs. He didn't like any of them. He liked them, but he didn't want to record them until he heard what's exactly the matter with me. Um, And he goes, yeah, that's the song I want. So basically he signed up. (laughs) Just saying, what's exactly the matter with me? We went in to record it. We had 20 minutes left. Uh, I said, why don't we do Eva Destruction? And uh, nobody knew what that was. So I wrote the lyrics down really quick. Uh, and Barry was eating chicken dinner when, uh, uh, and singing it while he was eating. Because there's nobody we were positive that nobody liked that song except me. And But after we... Excuse me. Uh, too much coffee. Uh, after we got done recording it, uh, I experienced magic for the first time in a, in a recording studio. There was a shock and awe at the at at the end of the track. Not even the the the, the lyric or the melody, just the track. Everyone was in shock and awe, and we all looked at each other and said, "What is, what has just happened here?" Um, and then everyone went into denial, you know. And then when they heard the lyric, they went into extra denial. Yeah, no Talk about that denial. What do they think? There's no possible way on earth that that record could ever hit a radio station. So forget it. You know, we're just going to do, we'll go in and we'll cut a B-side to what's exactly the matter with me. Um, they didn't get those instructions and they printed up accidentally Eva Destruction on the backside of what's Stop exactly it. the matter with okay. me. Yeah. And they put out what's exactly the matter with me as the A-side and then someone turned it over somewhere in the middle. You know where that was? No. No. Just happened. Just happened. And Where did it break? Do you remember? Midwest, of and, all places. Yeah, and yeah. I, yeah I, I remember the the head of the company uh, called me into his office and said uh, because they all hated the song. I mean, the, this was a new, brand new label. 
that they were family oriented, you know. And Bob Dylan was having a lot of trouble being called communist, and uh, they didn't want any of this kind of, you know, problems in their life. So he calls me into the office and he says, "Hey," he said, "You've got a big hit here." He said, "We sold 37 copies this week," <laughs> and it was sort of like saying, "See, what did I tell you?" But then the next week, then the next week it was 37,000, and then 300. Yeah, what do you have to say there? <laughs> It was huge. It was 66. How many millions has it sold by now? Many, 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 many yeah. millions. Uh, as, as, as Steve Feinberg and I were working on these memoirs, trying to understand their dilemma of having a... a, a it, he, Steve likens it to a bear trap, and there's a pot of gold inside the bear trap, the bear trap, and you want to stick your hand in and get the gold, and you know that you got to pull it out quick enough before your hand gets caught. <laughs> so that's what the label was stuck with, was going after the pot of gold and then... Distancing to... itself yeah. from you as much as humanly possible. Can we take a break so uh, Phil can pull out his guitar and play us that song? be great. All right. We're going to do that. We're going to take a short break. Uh, you sell one of your damn books again? Yeah, I'll sell one of my damn yeah, books. Okay. I got a brand new one. It's delightful. It's yeah, delightful. Yeah, let's not talk about and that. And there's uh, even a song we, that we, goes we, with it. Uh, we got more to talk about <laughs> with P.F. Sloan, if you don't mind. <laughs> okay. We'll take a short break, run a few commercials here for our fine supporters, and we'll be back with uh, P.F. Sloan. Ah, yes, we have returned from beyond the mystic crypt. I am the legendary Burl Bear, Howard Lapidus, manager of the star, Mark C.G. Boyer, our fact checker. We have author S.E. Feinberg here and the world-famous P.F. Sloan. One of the few people ever to have a song written about him. No one's written a song about me yet. But, uh, well, it's hard to rhyme with Uncle Crazy. I'll get get Jimmy Webb on the phone and we'll take care of it. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. P.F. Sloan, I thought that was a song. I was working at Screen Gems. There was a... Songwriter by the name of Barry Mann who wrote You Lost the Love and Feeling with, uh, Up on the Roof. Hundreds, hundreds of hit songs. Uh, I was just a young kid and he came into town and wanted to use a piano. And uh, so he's, this is really going to test your, he was writing a song called Hey Girl. Which didn't really become a big hit, but it was hey Girl. I Want hey You to Know. It was filled with suspended uh-huh. chords. And it was the first time I heard a suspended chord, so I. I was friends with Brian Wilson. I called up Brian on the phone and I said, hey, I said, I'm in the room here with Barry Mann. Barry Mann's playing a suspended chord. And Brian says, what does it sound like? So, you know, I played it like... And the next thing I know, Brian is writing Don't Worry Baby, which is just filled with suspended chords. And then from England comes... It's been a hard day's night. So all of a sudden... So... Barry's had a number one hit with Eva Destruction, and the world is saying, we've got to get rid of Barry McGuire and P.F. Sloan. So Barry is does not want to do another P.F. Sloan song. He's made friends with a guy from New York who has a group called the Mamas and Papas, and John Phillips has written a song called California Dreamin'. Now, I don't know if you talked about nobody having any ears, but the people that label didn't really get the Mamas and Papas. So they said to Barry, well, Phil, why don't you go in and produce the Mamas and Papas as Barry's backup group? And uh, Barry wanted to do California Dreamin' as his next single. So basically California Dreamin' was this. All the leaves are brown And the sky is gray Pretty simple. So I said to 
John Phillips and said, have you ever heard Walk, Don't Run by the Ventures? And uh, John Phillips proudly said, no, we're from <laughs> New York, Greenwich Village. <laughs> you know, listen to surf shit. You know, I said, it goes... So if you add that to California Dreaming, you got all the leaves are brown and the sky is, and then you add the suspension and the sky is gray. So we've almost got the song together <laughs> and we need an intro. So I came up with this. Tonight I'll be with you, baby. 
gift thank you it was a gift I, I, and i mean that for the bottom Beautiful. of the it's gorgeous thank you just just for you across the world thank you
maybe like a handful of senators that can't pass legislation because marches alone will never bring integration when this whole crazy world is just too frustrating but you tell me
soul in paradise. No, you're gonna have to pay the price. You're like you wanna.